Our first reading this morning is from Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, and, but the righteous to eternal life. Our second reading is from 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. A couple of weeks ago, our extended family went on a tree trekking adventure at Bowler Mountain in London. First of all, I bet you didn't know there was a mountain in London. Well, there isn't, but uh, there's a, a tall hill. And uh, if you've never been tree trekking before, it's a, it's a really fun experience. You basically get these harnesses on and you climb up this ladder and then gradually the courses kind of go higher and higher and you're these, you've got these swinging bridges you got to cross and there's Jude and there's Sophie on a zip line and you're kind of whipping from one tree to the next and it's, it's really great. Um, my parents brought uh, us along and so there's a picture of me and my parents up there. Like, I'm thinking, not bad. 
Like, this is what I was thinking. I'm watching them zip from tree to tree, going, they're in their mid-60s. Like, this is pretty darn good here. This is impressive, right? Yeah, that's right. Good job. Good job. But, I mean, I, like, my expectations of them were, were limited because, I mean, again, like, I thought, like, they're doing fantastic. And so, like, they went through section one, and they went through section two, and then they went through section three, and it was great. Now, so there was, like, a fourth section for advanced people. I had basically no expectation that my parents would do this. But my children had gone ahead. And I anticipated that they would have expectations that I would do this. So I said, sure, I'll go and do the advanced course of tree trekking. And my brother came along with me. And so we climb up this ridiculous rock climbing wall. And we start doing this course. And we're looking at each other like, I don't know how good of an idea this was. And we get to about halfway mark. And we notice that there's a ladder going down. And that is for the people who are like just tired of this and realize they cannot go any further. There's this guy on the ground, he's like a guide, and he's this like surfer kind of guy, and he's like, hey man, like you can go down if you want. And my brother's like, yeah, I'm done. And I'm just like, I'm not, I can't, I just can't do it. Like I, I, I can't let my kids have this one over on me. So we went to the next thing, and it's like you, you just rope wall, and you're like hanging onto these ropes, and you're just like hanging on for dear life, going back and forth. My muscles were aching. My body is just like shaking. And then there's one more. And you're looking at this thing. And there's no photo or video evidence. No one bothered getting that, like my moment of glory. But it's like these logs. And you hang on to this thing. And you're swinging back and forth. And every muscle is just shaking. And like halfway there, my brain sends a message to my body saying, empty. It's like the, the gaslight on the car, empty. There's nothing left. You cannot make it across this bridge. I'm like, I, I have to. I have to, right? So anyways, I get across the bridge um, and zip line down to the end. And, and Melissa asked me, she's like, why would you do that? And because my resources were so low, I, I just said the honest truth was I have to impress my children. Like, <laughs> you know. And so I'm, I'm mostly healed. I'm mostly healed. I wake up in the morning, my hands are gnarled up in a little claw like that. And I just have to pry the fingers straight. And then, you know, by, by noon, they feel normal again. But, uh, you know, there's something about, uh, something about looking at the generation that's gone before us. And, and I don't know how many people try this hard to impress the people who come after them. And I think this series that we're in on the God of our fathers, none of these men and women that we're exploring set out to impress their children or the people who would come after them. But they lived lives that were just so impressive that we look back on them decades or centuries later and think, wow, what an incredible life that this person lived. In December of 1999, at the end of the 20th century, Gallup did a poll to determine which people around the world Americans most admired for what they did during the 20th century. And the number one response at that time was Mother Teresa. And so, of all the fathers we'll be learning from over the course of the summer, perhaps the most familiar of all to us is actually a mother. Agnes Bayachu was born in Albania in 1910 to a large and happy family. Rare photo of her in her youth there. By the age of 12, she was convinced that she would be a missionary. And by the age of 18, she had left home to become a nun. Now, I realize that a number of our youth are away this morning, but for anyone in that window of 12 to 18 here this morning, I just want to suggest to you that, that God can call you to, to amazing work in his life. Mother Teresa, this, this icon of faith in the 20th century, by the age of 12 knew that God was calling her to do something significant in the world. And by the age of 18, she had set out on that journey. It's profound. 
And so God's calling starts, can start young in our lives. Don't expect that you have to wait until you're grown up um, to listen to the voice of God because he calls people of all ages. Reflecting back on her life, Mother Teresa once said, I never doubted even for a second that I've done the right thing. That's profound. Teresa taught at a convent school for nearly 20 years, but was increasingly bothered by the extreme poverty of Calcutta in India. And so she expressed, I was to leave the convent and help the poor while living among them. This was the calling she began to sense at that stage of her life. It was an order, she said, to fail would have been to break the faith. And so even though she was already serving God, already being faithful, God had something more specific for her to do. And for the next half century, this is exactly what she did. She explained, by blood I am Albanian, by citizenship an Indian, by faith I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. Well, this morning we're going to explore the ways that Mother Teresa engaged the suffering around her and within her, and how she remained devoted to Jesus through it all. In 1950, after reading about a nun who had set up orphanages in the United States, the thought kept coming, why can't I do for him in India what she did for him in America? And so Teresa founded the Missionaries of Charity, a Roman Catholic religious congregation which, in her words, would care for the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, all those people who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for, people that have become a burden to the society and are shunned by everyone. She once said, all things being equal, choose the hard thing. And that's exactly what she chose, the hardest of all things. We're taught to aim high, to climb the ladder, to shoot for the stars, but Mother Teresa got down on her hands and knees in the gutters to live among the poorest of the poor. I want to read from a, a biographer of hers, someone who spent some time with Mother Teresa, taking photographs and, and journeying along with her during her work. He asked, can one ever accept the press and wine of beggars on pavements, in markets, on railway platforms, at traffic stops, outside restaurants and cinema houses, often outside your own front door? How to accept, living in an ivory tower as I do, the unending panorama of squalor, poverty, stagnation, and hopelessness, just the width of a potholed road away from manicured gardens, where children in frilly dresses attended by servants play? More to the point, how do the deprived accept us? This is the world that she lived in, extreme poverty, a city that is crumbling at its core. This morning's passage from Matthew 25 was a key inspiration for Mother Teresa. And in many ways, her entire life's work is one long application of Jesus' story. You see, Jesus was teaching about a future day when the Son of Man comes in glory, when all of our days are done, when everything in this world has run its course. And so he tells the story about a king who is going to separate his kingdom like a shepherd would separate sheep from goats into two different herds. He goes on to say that the king said to these people, well, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was in need, I was sick, in prison, and you were there for me. Well, the first group of people respond. They don't understand. They're like, we don't remember seeing any of that. We don't remember seeing you in those places. What are you talking about? When did we see you? And the king responds, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then there's part two of the parable where the king basically says the exact same thing 
I was hungry and thirsty, a stranger in need, sick in prison, and you didn't take care of me. You weren't there for me. And it's the same response. When did we see you? We didn't see you in need. Certainly we would have helped. We would have stepped up if we saw you in need. But the king responds that I was the person in need and you rejected me. Mother Teresa understood this. And this passage both inspired her and haunted her. Inspired her to to meet Jesus in the poor, but also haunted her that she didn't want to ever walk by someone and leave them uncared for. When I cleanse the wounds of the poor, she once wrote, I am cleansing the wounds of Christ. She identified with the people in front of her. To this day, the Missionaries of Charity manages homes for people dying of HIV and AIDS, leprosy and tuberculosis. They manage soup kitchens, dispensaries and mobile clinics, children's and family counseling programs, orphanages and schools. The members who take vows of chastity, poverty and obedience also profess a fourth vow to give wholehearted free service to the poorest of the poor. But they don't just meet the practical needs in front of them. They try to do something more than that. Mother Teresa once wrote that people are hungry for God. What a terrible meeting it would be with our neighbor if we give them only ourselves. There's a hunger out there. And she is going to meet the needs. She's going to do everything she can to meet the physical needs of the people in front of her as much as she can. But she's also going to introduce them to God. She's going to acknowledge their spiritual hunger as well. And it's a perspective that's important for us to reflect on. In the good that we do, do we offer the people around us the love of God? She asked some important questions. And we're going to dive into some of this as we sit around discussion tables in a little while. But she asked these questions. Do we know who our own poor are? Do we know our neighbor, the poor of our own area? It is so easy for us to talk and talk about the people of other places Very often we have the suffering, we have the lonely, we have the people, old, unwanted, feeling miserable, and they are near us, and we don't even know them. This is something, a piece of Mother Teresa's writings that I remember reflecting on 10, 15 years ago, and this this call that she wasn't necessarily calling people to come and and do her work in Calcutta. She wasn't inviting people to to only look out for the poor in in those parts of the world, but she was encouraging people to look right around you. Acknowledge what poverty looks like around you. She considered the poverty of affluent nations like our own to be a searing loneliness and rejection. There's loneliness and rejection all around you, so don't just look around and say there's no one in need. There's significant need. It's easy to love the people far away, she wrote. It is not always easy to love those close to us. It is easier to give a cup of rice to relieve hunger than to relieve the loneliness and pain of someone unloved in our own home. Bring love into your home, for this is where our love must start. Our second reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, and it's this beautiful passage um, at the beginning of his letter. I'll just read a couple of the verses again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God meets us at our time of need so that we can meet others in their time of need. He gives us comfort so we have a full enough tank to meet the needs of the people around us. 
And just maybe we'll have to give up some of the comfort that we have received already in order to bring comfort to the people who need it the most. This is part of what I think we read in this passage. Mother Teresa said, love one another until it hurts. And we might, be, we might very well be challenged to take on a little pain of our own in order to love people well. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you've kind of heard all this before. Mother Teresa is a very popular figure, and you may have heard a lot about her life before and not been surprised by any of the photos or anything that you've seen to this point. But now I'm going to tell you something that most of you probably never knew about Mother Teresa. That some people thought she was an evil, manipulative fraud. I was shocked by this. I was on Google Images looking for some nice pictures of her to show in the slides this morning, and then I saw this picture, and I'm like... What the heck? This is Mother Teresa. Why does she have like bloodshot eyes and like fire and an upside down cross? And why is she called the angel of hell? Well, apparently, in a 1994 documentary, so just three short years before she passed away, anti-theist Christopher Hitchens blasted the nun for being a willing political tool for the Vatican, a validator of corrupt right-wing political leaders, and even more surprisingly, a suppressor rather than savior of the poor. In his own words, she is less interested in helping the poor than in using them as an indefatigable source of wretchedness on which to fuel the expansion of her fundamentalist Roman Catholic beliefs. I couldn't even believe it when I was reading this. Proof, if you ask me, that Taylor Swift was right. Haters gonna hate, 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 hate. I mean, this is Mother Teresa. I see this one bizarre picture, and then I look at all these other pictures, and I'm like, okay, I'm sure that she wasn't perfect. Like, I'm sure she made mistakes. I'm sure she could have done what she did better, but my goodness, she's dressing the wounds of lepers on the streets of Calcutta. She gives her entire life to this. So fascinating to me. Now, to be fair, this wasn't the first time that Mother Teresa had got under someone's skin. I think when we look at her, we see this kind of meek and mild, this tiny little woman. She was like this tall, and she's kind of walking around helping people. But she was a fiery character, too. In 1979, she received the Nobel Peace Prize. And in her acceptance speech, she talked about the work that she did, but she also went a little, well, off script of what people expected. She said, the greatest destroyer of peace today is the cry of the innocent unborn child. And she spoke strongly of pro-life views and against the practice of abortion, and this riled the crowds against her. And so it's not that she didn't have detractors. It's not that there weren't people who didn't think negatively about her. People thought that she had these, maybe what they might consider political views, that she should have just kept quiet and, and stick with the poor. And so Teresa was admired for many, by many for her charitable work, she was criticized for the poor conditions in her houses for the dying. And she was both admired and criticized for her opposition to abortion. But any struggling in response to her critics and opponents paled in comparison to the battle that she waged in silence for nearly half a century. Last week, St. Louis Cardinals pitching prospect Daniel Ponce de Leon started his Major League Baseball career by pitching seven no-hit innings. Now, this is just a great story. I mean, this young guy gets out there, and he's unhittable, his first time pitching in the major leagues. But the thing that makes this story really great is that 14 months ago, 
He was hit in the head by a line drive. He was carted in the, in the minor league game. He was carted off the field. He had surgery on his brain. He was fighting for his life. Would he even survive, let alone ever be able to play baseball again? Well, I was reading this article, and uh, they're kind of interviewing him, asking about this, and how had, has this experience changed and shaped you? And at one point in the article, it said that this experience allowed me to become a much better Christian than what I'd been. And I was like, wow. Now, not many people would readily invite a 90-mile-an-hour fastball in the head. And we wouldn't readily invite any of the other things that knock us down in life, the things that hurt us, the things that break us, the things that cause suffering in our lives. But as Daniel reminds us, sometimes these things can actually fuel growth in our life of faith. See, just as Mother Teresa provides us with an example of walking with others in suffering, she also demonstrates the possibility of living with great suffering ourselves. Now I'm going to tell you something else that most of you probably never knew about Mother Teresa. That for the last four decades of her life, she didn't once feel God's presence. Now just rewind with me for a minute to this 12-year-old girl who heard God calling her to a life of missionary service, who at 18 made these vows to become a nun, who 20 years later left that to found this organization because she had called with a sense of calling that she, she described it as, I would be breaking my faith if I didn't follow this. This person who had heard from God, who had a deep, intimate relationship with God for the last 40 years of her life, never once felt God's presence. I remember when the news of this broke out, it broke because of the release of a book called Come Be My Light, which is a beautiful book, uh, releasing a number of Mother Teresa's private letters. She had requested that they be destroyed, that they never make it out into public, but the people she corresponded with knew that this was a story that needed to be told. And that maybe even more significant than the work that she had done with the poor, the story of how she dealt with the suffering of not feeling God's presence in her life needed to be told. I remember seeing the headlines in the newspaper in the grocery store, I have no faith, in big, bold letters right across the paper. And then this story, it was a scandal, right? The newsmakers were like, this is perfect. This sweet little nun finally breaks. She finally admits that she doesn't even have any faith. That's what the story was. That was the narrative that was out there for at least a very brief time. But my reaction when I read it was, oh, this is beautiful. Because another thing that's part of the long Christian tradition is something known as the dark night of the soul, the darkness of God's absence. It's something that many of God's fiercest followers have experienced in their lives. And it wasn't a, I didn't read this article as a, as a compromise or she was hypocritical. I read this story of her not hearing from God as, as a beautiful story of someone's faithfulness in the midst of deep, deep struggling. Even though her life, in many ways, was one long-lived prayer, she had a need to withdraw, to be alone with God. It was an important part of her during her work with the poor. And, and these biographers, as they tell the story, they talk about the, how much time she would spend in prayer. And looking back on that and thinking that for all of those years, she was spending this time with God in prayer, and she was the only one doing the talking. And that she never felt the presence of God. It's, it's pretty profound to reflect on. Very soon after she started her work in Calcutta, she found there was a terrible darkness within her. Those times of prayer were empty, dead even. 
in this book revealing some of her private letters, she writes in one of her entries, in the darkness, Lord my God, who am I that you should forsake me? The child of your love, and now become as the most hated one. The one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved. I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer. No one whom I can cling. No, no one. Alone. The darkness is so dark, and I am alone. Unwanted. Forsaken. The loneliness of the heart that wants love is unbearable. Where is my faith? Even deep down, right in, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. It pains without ceasing. I have no faith. Later on in this entry, she writes, I am told God loves me. And yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Wow. Well, over time, she came to love even the darkness because she learned to believe that it was a very small part of Jesus' pain and darkness on earth. I want to read a little section from a chapter in Peter N's book, The Sin of Certainty. He says, Suffering is not a sign that something is wrong with us and has to be corrected. Suffering is a key component of what identifies us as children of God. Here's one of my favorite thoughts in all of Paul's letters. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Knowing Christ for Paul means not only experiencing the power of his resurrection, the triumphs and spiritual highs of the life of faith, it also means necessarily experiencing the dark times of the life of faith, the sharing of Christ's sufferings, participating in them, so to speak. Suffering has some positive role to play in the life of faith, even if we can't grasp it well enough to understand it. He goes on to say, I'm not glorifying suffering or papering over the pain, but when weariness and hopelessness settle in. At that very moment, our suffering is Christ's suffering and his is ours. We are more like Christ in these moments than we might realize. Mother Teresa concluded, I am perfectly happy to be nobody, even to God. She spent her life serving people who are on the outside and she found that she was actually on the outside. If we go back to Paul's introduction to his letter in 2 Corinthians, he says, our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. God's comfort and the patient endurance of suffering often go hand in hand. When Mother Teresa died on September 5th, 1997, the day before, Princess Diana's funeral, you may remember that. I remember sitting in her apartment watching this funeral procession and along with most of the world, it seemed. And I remember thinking at the time that I bet no one will watch Mother Teresa's funeral. Maybe they won't even televise it. 
I mean, Princess Diana, sure, she did some good things in the world, but Mother Teresa, this life of service, and, and it was overshadowed by this royal funeral. She did receive a state funeral from the Indian government in gratitude for her service to the poor of all religions in her country. And at the time of her death, there were over 600 different missions operated by more than 4,300 people in 123 countries around the world. She wrote at one point, If I ever become a saint, I will surely be one of darkness. I will continually be absent from heaven to light the light of those in darkness on earth. It's a beautiful image. Mother Teresa did become a saint in 2016, and so although all of us who were alive when she was alive will probably continue to refer to her as Mother Teresa, perhaps future generations will look back on this father of the faith as Saint Teresa of Calcutta. Well, my hope this morning is that by reflecting on her life and legacy, we would be open in our own place and in our own time to what she was open to, coming alongside the suffering of others and enduring our own suffering with a quiet trust in God's faithfulness. I'd like to invite you to stand. Lord, we are grateful for the examples of these fathers and mothers of faith who have come before us. Men and women who have left examples of what it means to follow you through all kinds of different circumstances. And we are grateful for the humanity of Mother Teresa, the example that she leaves for us of comforting those who are suffering and enduring suffering. And God, I pray that you would help us to find a balance of both of those in our lives, to be willing to give up some of our comfort so that others can be comforted, and that we would continually seek you even when we feel absence in darkness. We invite you to speak into our lives, to call us to great things in this world. And we ask that you be with us as we gather around tables and discuss this woman's life and, and what her example means for us today. With thanksgiving, in Christ's name we pray, amen. And so I would invite you to make your way through the lobby and into the gym for some discussion. You'll notice things look a little different in there. Apparently there's a big Hawaiian barbecue happening this afternoon. Um, so we're going to enjoy our time for discussion until 11 o'clock. If you would prefer to linger in here for a few minutes, feel free to do so in the first couple of pews here. We'll formally wrap up our time together this morning at 11. Thank you.